I am on a mission to help organizations drive long-term success and results by implementing an unshakable transformation model. This model puts the employee at the center and works outward to support every aspect of the human experience in the workplace. Welcome to the Human Method Podcast. I am your host, Megan Bond, founder and CEO of the Bond Consulting Group. This podcast is designed to explore incredible guests as experts in a variety of professions and experiences to learn more about the tools that will transform an organization one person at a time. If you are seeking to improve yourself and how you live your life, or an organizational leader seeking to make a larger impact on your company through culture change, then this podcast is for you. If you are interested in learning more about personal or organizational transformation, I would love to connect with you. You can chat with me today at www.thebondconsultinggroup.com. Be sure to subscribe and get easy access to future episodes. Thank you and enjoy today's episode of The Human Method. Please join me in welcoming our next guest. Founding partner at Janus Consulting Partners, he is recognized in the talent acquisition field for his creative approach to solving recruitment challenges. He launched his recruitment career in the United States Marine Corps and has held leadership roles at Macy's and most recently T. Rowe Price. With over 15 years experience, he has placed executives in financial services, retail and pharmaceutical industries, and in roles from operations, sales, finance, and accounting, management, human resources, technology, quality assurance, and supply chain. He has a passion for diversity, engagement, and inclusion, serving as a recruitment advisor to the Latinx and veteran business resource groups, and improving representation results within various businesses, including CFO, global technology, and distribution at T. Rowe Price. His post-Marine Corps career began in 2004 working as a recruiter with a contingent search agency. After a two-year learning opportunity in broader human resources with Macy's, he returned to talent acquisition, where he ultimately oversaw executive recruiting for the stores, logistics, and call center organizations, as well as for employee brand marketing, sourcing, and identification of recruitment technologies. Born in New York to Ecuadorian parents, he graduated from the University of Cincinnati while working for Macy's and earning his Bachelor's of Arts in English and Creative Writing. He currently resides in Baltimore, Maryland with his wife and two children. Please join me in giving a warm welcome to Henry Casanova. Henry, so great to have you with us today. Thank you, Megan. It's great to be on. Good. I really appreciate you having me on. Oh. Well, Henry, you have a really, really diverse and deep background. Um, and I wanna dive right in. So tell me a little bit about uh, some of your experiences where you've had to overcome resistance as you've worked through through the business world. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, it's it's really interesting. Um, the the transition from the Marine Corps to corporate America wasn't as jarring as you might expect. But the the main reason is because I went from um, from the core to to working in a, like a high intensity recruiting firms, right? So um, there was this whole sense of do what do whatever you have to do in order to get the mission accomplished. That kind of carried over fairly well, uh, which actually helped me. 
uh, when I think about about how to move things forward uh, and how to overcome resistance when leading up, it, it's it's very interesting to be in this in this podcast because of because what the purpose of it is this idea of like the whole person and. In my experience, people in, in corporate America will tell you, like, you should lead with data, right? Like, go in, have all your ducks in a row, make sure you have all the data that you need. Um, and these things are super important. But it, it has been my experience that it is rarely across, uh, it's rarely enough to get you across the finish line. Uh, you know, I have seen really smart people with all the facts uh, and, and having the deepest understanding of the of the thing that they're talking about go into a meeting with senior leaders and crash and burn because people were not ready to hear the things that they were saying so i think that is really important and you'll hear me say this a bunch of times is that you always got to take into consideration that the person sitting across from you is a whole person they're not the svp of this or that they're not you know the the chief of whatever uh they are a whole person. So that means they woke up this morning, they woke up to their same insecurities they deal with every day. Uh, they looked in the mirror and saw themselves a little bit older, maybe a little bit less successful than they expected themselves to be. And they carry all that stuff. All that stuff comes with them, right? Uh, and then they're sitting next to, and then you add other people into that room, people at the same level, other levels, people that they have had conflicts with in the past, people who are big supporters of them. And all of those things impact their reaction to your presentation. So I think you, if you walk in with the expectation of an objective group of people that are going to just make the right decision in that moment, I think you're already, you have already missed it, right? You have to understand, like, if you have an accounting leader, uh, or, or you know, if you have the CFO in your room and you're and you're doing a presentation during during comp season, right? If you're doing it during that time, you can be sure that that person is not as interested in what you're saying as they would be three months later or three months prior, right? Uh, and it may be very important to them, but your your presentation is not as important as it uh, to them today as it would have been at another time. And it's almost never as important to them as it is to you, right? So like, taking all those things into consideration is really important when you say, okay, this is what I'm gonna present to these folks. Um, it's kind of an old sales adage, but what's in it for them? Not just the end point of this uh, project that I'm trying to pitch or this initiative I'm trying to pitch, but this moment, like what is what is in it for them, for, for them to listen to me for the next 45 minutes or an hour uh, about this thing that, it, that has varying degrees of, degrees of interest. I mean, we've all been in a conversation where somebody sitting quietly in the corner and says nothing right for like 40 minutes of the conversation but then in the last five minutes there they realize that and they come in with just fire right they're like i am going to quickly cast doubt on this and sometimes it's about they don't believe in your project sometimes it's really about they have to get their two cents in or they feel like they have not added value right mm -hmm. so i guess my my Number one, and you know, two, three, four, five uh, uh, piece of advice when it comes to uh, uh, leading up is understand that those are whole people there, and try to frame your conversation so that it's impacting that whole person and not just their title. 
You know, I'm really glad you went there. I mean, we really did like go deep fast. Um, I think that that's a huge piece and it's really a lot of what we do at, at the Bond Consulting Group and I'm, I'm certain what you do with Janice is, you know, we help people kind of go past themselves and, and connect with other people. What would you say though? Because that's a challenge, especially for someone who's really comfortable leading with data. Um, what would you say is the secret or the magic trick to go beyond the data when you're in that type of scenario? Um, I mean, I, I don't know that it's a trick, but, I, you know, I think you should definitely, you know, you should definitely have your data. You should be, if you're presenting on something, you should be the most knowledgeable person in that room, right? Like if, if that's what you're presenting about, right? you should know or have people in the room that are part of your team that know the answers um, to most of the questions that are going to come up or the questions that are fair, right? Like the fair questions, right? Um, uh, you know, it, it sounds repetitive, but I think I would sit down and first understand what are the priorities, you know, that the leaders in that in that room have right now, right? Because obviously we're not gonna know that, you know, I mean, you might wanna know some of these things, but like, are there kids going away to college this year? Like, you know, do they have, um, you know, other pressing matters that are happening? But like, you can do this also just by using the documents that are that are published internally to your company so again, if you're going in and you're talking to the head of human resources, right? Uh, and you are pitching something that is not part of her or his top five priorities for the year, you should know that, right? So understand what their priorities are going in the room, try to make connections and links to those priorities. It will make them listen, right? It's, it's a lot easier to listen when you hear your name being called out, right? Or your, the thing that's important to you. Um, and try to weave that those connections into your presentation, that will make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Where do we draw the line between having a great presentation, taking the time to um, lead up and, and appeal to the senses of our, our senior leadership teams versus seeing something that's not being done, maybe seeing an opportunity that maybe isn't so popular, but knowing that it's going to be the right move for the company. How, how would someone who's not at a senior level go about getting buy-in from their senior partners when they know that there's something that, that needs to change in the company? Well, um, this is a million dollar question, right? <laughs> I don't know that there's a really great answer to this. Um, I think that the number one thing you have to do is act local, right? So diversity is a huge uh, part of my, uh, you know, core beliefs, right? My core values. I believe in it. I think it's important. I think it makes us better. Um, I also think that as organizations, we don't do nearly enough. Um, but as a leader, right? Because you know, some of it is like the big organization and what is their responsibility to make it so that big changes happen. Mm -hmm. But as a leader, you have a lot of impact in how things change within your own scope of influence, right? So I have had the opportunity and I have actually made this mistake and actually you, you would know about this, uh, but I constructed one of my favorite teams uh, in a prior company and it was basically, I was like, I really like these folks. They're excellent at their job. I'm going to put them into places where I see them to grow. Again, 
you know, it kind of sounds like I'm just hiring my friends, but I honestly thought they were fantastic, right? I really thought that they were fantastic. Um, when I looked at my team, I realized I had not even considered diversity, right? That I had not really put into place any kind of mechanism or uh, uh, to make sure that there was some diverse representation in my leadership group, the leadership group under me. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it would have been really easy for me to sort of just say, look, I just hired the people that I thought would be the best at this job. Um, but I, but it felt very problematic uh, because I also understood that there was lack of representation in the tier that those folks came out of, right? Uh, I understood that there, that if, when I advise people about how to increase diversity in their team, I expressly say, this is going to take some more work. You're gonna to have to think more creatively. Uh, you may have to dig a little deeper, right? Like there's there's parts of the, uh, parts of the reasons that you don't currently have diversity in your in your team are systemic. So you're gonna to have to push back against those in order for you to get more diversity. Um, so, you know, again, after making that, uh, that mistake, my, I made a, a very open and loud decision, which was not necessarily uh, welcomed mm -hmm. to say, the next leader I hire into my team is going to be a diverse person. Uh, you know, I got, I got pushed back in like, well, you can't say that. And I'm like, no, I'm like, I can definitely say that. I'm going to say it because right now I don't have any diversity in my leadership mm -hmm. team. And it's, it's disappointing to me and it should be disappointing to you as well. So I said all that to say that there is, there, there's impact that you can have locally, especially as a leader. Mm. Um, and it definitely makes it a stronger argument, right? Um, when you go back to the organization and you say, well, we need to change this practice. When you can say, I changed that practice mm -hmm. in my team. This is how I did it. This is how it worked out. These are the challenges of it. This is the easy part of it. Um, but, you know, I think, I think if you can make the case that it's already working locally, you have a much better chance of being accepted, of it being accepted more broadly. That might be one of the best answers I've ever received to that question, because you're right, it is the million dollar question. And, um, you know, something too that we've also talked about is you have senior leaders, CEOs, CFOs, that you know, we're made to think that they are the gods of the organization and that they're all knowing and not one person can possibly have all the answers. So um, being able to make small changes to ultimately have a larger ripple effect, I think is a, is a beautiful way to go about making things better within a company. Thank you for that, Henry. No problem. Um, any learning lessons that you've had? I mean, I know that, congratulations, you you recently started your own company, um, which I'm so excited to talk about later on. But up until this point, you know, what, what have your biggest learning lessons um, been that have gotten you to where you are today? Let me talk a little bit about success, right? Um, I, I don't think there's a uniform way to measure success, right? Mm. Uh, we were talking a little bit sort of in the warm up about how I feel today about my career versus I did, you know, six months ago, a year ago, or even five years ago. Um, and I actually, 
today, I can honestly say, I mean, I'm just launching this business. So, you know, you know, we are literally at, at zero, right? Um, so I can't say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm more, I'm making more money. Uh, I have more status, right? Again, I'm, you know, I don't have a big fancy office, which I used to, right? I used to have like a big fancy office. I used to have people that, that, you know, uh, you know, I have like administrative help and all these other things. Those are like the way that the way that sort of traditionally we measure success, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, but it didn't feel necessarily like success. It did sort of in in steps, right? I'm a I'm a I'm a son of a, of immigrants. I'm an immigrant myself. I, you know, there is something about like being able to show your parents your big office. I mean, it was a proud moment. It was a huge deal to me at the time. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not necessarily what, what, why I was successful at the time. If I look back, the reason why I felt successful at the time was because I had an amazing team and I loved them. I loved all of them. It was, it was wonderful to be part of it. Uh, my, my boss believed in me. Um, there was a lot of trust there like that it in retrospect again uh if i could that's what i would show my off to my parents right like that's the thing that would that i really as you know somebody who's older and hopefully slightly wiser is what real success was right mm -hmm. um and again so today what i what i've learned is you have to me measure success in what makes you happy content uh, the things that impact the people around you most positively. And, you know, so I, I you know, to me, that's, that's what being successful is. And what it takes is a level of courage, right? Like you have to be willing to do those things that are not, uh, obviously, uh, steps towards sort of like traditional success right mm -hmm. so um you know i think we've all had this moment in our careers right or a lot of us if we're lucky enough where we say somebody says to you look you can take a step sideways or you can take a step back and we think it's going to make you a more well-rounded person and then eventually that will lead to a bigger promotion or whatever um but I think at, at some point, you know, if you're still in that moment, in that place in your career where you're, where you're climbing, right, where you, you're, the only important thing is how high up I can get, it almost feels like an insult, right? It almost feels like somebody's mm -hmm. holding you back, right? Like, we all question it. We all say, like, wait, did you have to do that? Like, I don't see you having to take a step side, side step. Why do I have to take a side step, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when really, like, the evaluation should be around... Um, like, what is this going to do for me? Like, forget about, is it going to get me promoted? Is it really going to make me happier? Or is it going to make me a better professional? Is it going to make me a better leader, right? Like, these are the, the, the real questions. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'm not sure that I'm answering your, your question. I just think that, that in order for us to measure success, that's a very individual, uh, uh, a very individual individualized question right it's very unique to each one of us so like what does success look like? like if somebody comes to me and says how do i become successful 
the first question is, well, what does that mean to you, right? Like, what does it mean to you to be successful? Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but. No, it definitely does. I think that to your point, you know, something you said was at some point, most of us come to this place of what does success mean for me? Um, and I think that, yes, there is that, that moment where one day success isn't that corner office. Maybe it's how do I align my values to the work I'm doing? You know, time is really important to me. How, right. how do I find a job that gives me more autonomy? Um, and I think that we are constantly on that proverbial hamster wheel of always wanting the next thing. We've trained ourselves to want the next thing. If I get this, I'll be happy. If I right. land this job, if I get this partner, everything will be perfect without really looking at the consequences of getting those things. Mm -hmm. And yeah. once we get those things, we've now trained our brains to not be okay with that but want the next thing. Right. So I think that that was a really gracious answer of an honest answer of what, you know, your moments have been and what success looks like for you. And I love that you have walked away from, you know, basically this amazing career to start something brand new uh, because you believe in it and it's going to give you so much more, I think, emotionally um, to, to do this work and to serve others in this way. And I think, you know, you talked a lot about diversity and inclusion, and I want to use this as a segue into that space as well. Um, sure. why do you think organizations struggle so much with D&I initiatives? Why do you think it's such a hard thing to grasp? Well, um, so this, <laughs> this short answer is, um, I don't think we, I don't think we necessarily want them to work. I mean, uh, you know, I think that's sort of the, the big, you know, like controversial piece of it, right? Like we as organizations, uh, we only want diversity as long as it fits, mm. right? So in this idea of fit is very, very problematic, right? We want, we want the diversity initiatives to be easy uh, we want them to fit within current practices. Uh, we want them to still be us, right? Like there's this thing about like this idea of like, how do you, how do you make sure that we protect who we are today while still doing diversity? And I think it's, it's a, it's a very corporate way of thinking about things, right? It's about like, you know, we are here today, um, how do we get you to fit into who we are? And I think that in order for for DNI initiatives uh, to work, you have to be willing to change substantially, right? Not superficially. Um, I think if they also fail because we want credit for good intentions, right? So, like, mm. you know, I I sort of I always get into these conversations about. Um, well, that's not what they meant, or that's not what this person, like that's not, that was not the intention of this statement. Uh, when it comes to companies, you know, there's usually unintended consequences to most of these uh, initiatives. Um, so they end up not working, right? So again, like, you know, the company throws, you know, a million dollars to somebody to come evaluate their processes and 
you know, they get this, this suggestions, this like, you know, this is the things that you need to change. And they go in and they try to change them. The changes were like at a hundred and they, the company ends up making 10% of those changes. Uh, it's like, yeah, but we tried. I can tell you as a person, as a diverse individual who's been in companies um, like this, we are not giving you credit for intentions, right? Like it's, it's, it's nice, right? Uh, but you know, what's that, what's it saying? The, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's kind of like that, right? Mm -hmm. It's like at some point, this is not, you know, 1975, right? This is 2021. And, you know, we are, you know, as companies, we are who we are, right? And that is a, that is a compilation of a lot of people doing things that were ne not necessarily with best intentions, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you have to be a little bit more radical in your thinking and you have to be uh, uh, more radical in your actions, right? Um, and finally, and I, you know, I, I have my three bullet points around this, is I don't think as companies, we're willing to really look at the true complexity of these topics, right? I think a really easy example of that is the idea of uh, of colorism, right? Um, so, again, you know, I'm a, I'm I'm Latino, right? I am a fairly light-skinned Latino. Okay? It is really great for the company to take credit for somebody for hiring a Latino. That's great. I appreciate it. Uh, but if every Latino you hire it's a light-skinned Latino, you may have a colorism issue that mm. that Latinx community may be part of. We may be part of that problem. Um, that's a complex question, right? It's really a complex question if the people in the room making the decisions about diversity strategy, strategies are all white. It gets really complicated, right? Because now you don't even have like the cultural uh, understanding of what, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. like what is the difference between hiring somebody who was a upper class light-skinned argentinian person right um, who has a lot of sort of cultural uh, 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 resemblance to to you know to the sort of dominant class in the united states what's the difference between hiring somebody like that and somebody who's a you know dark-skinned latino or an afro-latino person who has experienced a different kind of oppression, even with outside of the United States within their own cultures, right? Um, so that's, I guess that's not a, necessarily a super simple example. Uh, another example is, you know, the idea of, you know, how do we classify, you know, you've seen this as much as I have, when, when companies are measuring diversity, you know, they have, you know, these buckets, right? They have, they have Latino, they have, Black or African American, and they have Asian, right? And like that Asian bucket is supremely complicated, but we sort of throw like half of the world's population in it without taking into consideration that, for example, uh, people from the Philippines perform much more like underrepresented minorities, right? Mm. So now we're asking the question, okay, so in my, in my tech, field, right? Like where I have an overrepresentation of Asians, right? Does a Filipino person count towards diversity or not? So that's a 
That's a question for me, but it's a question that companies rarely like to ask themselves because it, may, it means coming up with processes in order to identify what do we do about it, uh, what is fair, like there's a lot of sort of complexity to it. And the leadership within corporate corporates, uh, corporations, I'm sorry, um, the leadership within corporations has a hard time keeping a focus on it for that long. Mm. It's, gonna, it's, it's complicated. People make whole careers about talking and studying this. Um, but in order for you to have it, DNI initiatives of work, you have to embrace the complexity. How interesting. I wonder, and maybe they're not related at all, but I'm wondering if the way certain leadership teams show up for diversity and inclusion initiatives is the same way that they're showing up for their people initiatives. It's the same thought process. Um, and it takes me to this idea of what I've dubbed as the short-term leader versus the visionary leader. Mm -hmm. um, the short-term leader wants to focus on the quarter. They want to make their quarterly bonus. And I mean, if you think about it, companies are built in this way where mm -hmm. we want these very fast, short-term results. Um, but when you look at like the Howard Schultzes of the world, the people that really had a vision that had to fail 242 times before they were able to uh, move their vision, you know, is that that type of leader, you know, by finding that type of person or by, by helping someone become that type of leader, are we ultimately going to be able to impact all of these buckets, not just diversity and inclusion, but people initiatives um, and everything, the whole gamut of things? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Does that make sense? Or Yeah, no, and I actually, I really... Um... You know, when I when I when I noticed these these topics, when I when I looked at this sort of split, the first thing that came into my mind is these are not two different people. Hmm. So it's it's really it's really interesting because I think we all have this desire of being, uh, you know, kind of that long term leader, right? And I, me and you have had a lot of conversations where I kind of. Uh, you know, I can just riff about riff about like what is possible, right? And I really love that. Um, but the reality is, is you have to be able to be both. If you're going to be good, you have to be both, right? So there's no long-term leaders that are able to get away with just living in the future, right? Mm. Uh, you still have to make quick decisions. You have to be willing to impact your people's lives today, impact your business today. Uh, so it's really about balance, right? Uh, it's about balance and it's a, and it's situational, right? So let me give you an example, right? So I think that there is, that we tend to be short-term leaders when it comes to our people's career, uh, when we really should be, that is the, to me, the place where you should be a visionary, right? Like, I think that we always, we have the, the knee-jerk reaction that our, that our people come to us and they ask for help and we either want to fix it or tell them it doesn't matter right then and there. Uh, but again, that gets away from this thing of understanding what is long, like, who is this person that's asking me this question, right? Do they, um, are they right now being crushed by debt, right? Or are they somebody who is, uh, you know, who's really, you know, considering um, moving to another country or, you know, there's a lot of sort of like this 
this understanding of who are you, right? Like, who are you? And do you trust me enough to let me see who that is, right? So in order for you to be able to do that, yes, you have to be able to help them with their issues today, but you have to sort of join hands in how are we getting you to the thing that you want to do? Like, how are we going to let you become not the most the most successful, air quotes, uh, professional that there is, but the one that makes you the happiest, the one that makes you the best person at home, uh, the one that sort of allows you to uh, not have to compromise your ideals uh, in order to continue to earn a good living and, and whatnot, right? So I, I, to me, again, this is all about balance, right? Uh, you have to deal with the everyday. You have to pay the bills, um, but you can't you can't sacrifice either for the other, right? Because eventually you are, you know, that if you if you are only a short term leader, that means you're probably not going to serve your people in the long term mm -hmm. or your company in the long term, right? You're you're going to be uh, always reactionary. You're going to always have things surprise you, right? Um, and if you're only a long-term leader, then you're never going to stay in a job. Like mm -hmm. you, you're not going to last, right? Like if you're, if you're only, if you're, all you're doing is pitching what could be, and mm -hmm. your value to me is no longer as a leader within my organization. You're, you're a thought leader. You could be a thought leader, but it's going to be really hard for you to draw a salary from somewhere by just sort of telling you, telling people what is going to happen in the future or what you think should happen in the future. Um, so with that, Henry, a follow-up question, what do you see as being some small steps that someone could take? So if you have someone who's either living as a thought leader or living as solely a short-term leader, what are some steps that the leaders can take to find some balance? Um, that's a great question. For me, it's all about who do you surround with yourself with? Mm -hmm. um, and naming that. I mean, it's it's really funny because me and you know each other, uh, so you know sort of the way that I um, I have dealt with this in the past, and that is, if I have the opportunity to create a team, I usually fill it with people who could use somebody like me from a long-term leadership perspective uh, to help them sort of flex that muscle at the same time as they are really excellent at the execution piece and thinking about the short-term um, execution, right? Um, so that they are also keeping me honest as they, as we're, you know, going from a day-to-day, -day uh, going uh, through our challenges day-to-day. -day. So I think if you have the ability to construct a team like that, you know, obviously make sure that they're filling in your, your, um, your gaps. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't, right, then you seek those people out, right? Peers, um, even your boss. Um, make sure that that people understand where you're, where you are usually focused, and where it's usually your comfort zone, and that they call you out for those things, mm -hmm. right? Be, exp you know, express it, say it out loud. I think that will make a big difference. I love that. I think there's so much power in your network 
and mm-hmm. who you choose to surround yourself with. With that, do you think that that's possible in a virtual world? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think the challenges of, of this, the challenge, challenges of the virtual world are much more about like the organic conversation, right? Like, mm-hmm. how are we going to organically talk about this? But what I am suggesting is that don't let it be organic. Mm. Make it so that it's part of your, you know, weekly updates or, you know, quarterly, whatever you need, right? Whatever contributes to both sides um, to make sure that you are building this. Again, how are you prioritizing? Again, what is success, right? Like, what is success? Is success just getting my, getting a, you know, a good bonus at the end of this quarter? Or is success me having grown in some way in this quarter? I would argue for latter, right? I think that the the checks are important. Obviously, you want to make money, but I will I will challenge anybody who is in the situation to tell me that you know that developing as a leader uh, uh, a leader beyond their their immediate work, right? I think that that's that's part of it. Like we're we're talking about leadership, like it's only a work thing, yeah. but developing as a leader so that you can help lead your family, then you can help. And I don't mean that in a very traditional way. I mean, like, you know, there's there's <laughs> roles that you have to take within your family, right? Uh, you know, how do you, I, I have a hard time imagining that making an extra 2% or 5% or even 20% in your quarterly bonus is going to make more of a difference than you becoming a better listener, right? Mm-hmm. And you becoming somebody who can really uh, identify what the need behind behind somebody's question is, um, you know. So again, you you gotta you gotta be willing to value those things as well. Yeah, I think that's all really powerful. And w- with that, in that same vein, what are some employee engagement trends that you are seeing now and even post pandemic? Um, you know, I've seen a lot of the the these like let's have fun on Zoom events, right? And, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of split on them, right? I yeah. think if you already have a team that really likes each other, they can be fun because those are the same people you would have left work with and gone and have a drink yeah. and, you know, talk shit about people and things like that. Like, that's the same people, right? Yeah. So it would have been fine. Um, if you don't, though, then it just becomes another forced meeting. Mm-hmm. And you have to be honest with yourself, right? Like that, those moments, those engagement moments are not the times where you are going to create relationships. You may strengthen them, but you're not going to create them, right? Because, I mean, I think we all know this, right? If you have people who are significantly, who have contention at work, and now you put them in a more relaxed environment, they even if everybody else is relaxed those two people are not going to be relaxed they're going to be like looking at each other to see whether the other person screws up or whether the other person has like is trying to suck up to their boss or something like that right so like to me that the the trend is it, it makes sense but it's but i think it's a little forced right like it's it's just like we're trying to make people have fun mm-hmm. uh when i think if you said like if you did the same thing that you did at work, right? You say, hey, we're, I'm going to the bar. Whoever wants to come, come with me. Yeah. 
um, the same people would show up if it was optional in the Zoom, right? If it didn't show up in the in the calendar, uh, if you said if like for example, if you had to send those Zoom invitations for the happy hours to people's personal email, right? Um, and part of the part of the deal was you had to get that person's personal email to do it, right? Like you had to ask them, hey, I'm going to send this invitation, uh, send me your email and I'll send it. And they don't send it to you. Like they're telling you they don't want to come, right? Like they 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 may not want to come, right? So I don't know. I think that so that's one of the things I've seen. Um, what's what's funny is I I think that we are missing out on something we could really leverage, and that is. Uh, that is games, right? So like, it, this is, it's, it sounds silly, um, but I think that there is an opportunity for us to say, look, we're not, like, we don't want you to spend another minute on a Zoom meeting, um, but guess what? I am really, I really love playing Words with Friends. So I'm going to start a Words with Friends uh, game with like anybody who wants to. And you know, this is this again, this is not a a like we're gonna get to know each other kind of event, but it keeps us connected, right? Mm -hmm. In a positive way. Mm -hmm. uh, in a way that is, you know, whether you're winning, you're losing, you know, again, you have to know your team in a way that allows you to sort of uh, uh, engage in a way that's different than what you're doing all day, which is Zoom meetings, right? Like that's like you want to make sure that you're doing something different, especially during the pandemic. Yeah, I think that's really good. And, you know, with that, Henry, you spend a lot of time talking to candidates for, for different roles, for various levels within organizations. Um, are you hearing a theme from them of what they're looking for in a company, especially post-pandemic? Um, you know, what's have values changed? Um, it's interesting because less people ask you about working remotely, hmm. which can mean... I mean, which I think companies wanted to, to mean that people are really eager to get back in the office. Mm -hmm. I personally think that it means that people are just expecting you to let them work from Price home. Price of entry, yeah. Um, and honestly, I mean, you, you know, when you sit in meetings with people and you, and you talk to them, whether candidates or even within an organization, they have now realized that there was no reason for them to ever have to do a two hour commute to get to the office. Yeah. I mean, like they, like everybody knows it now, the cat's out of the bag. Like we know, like we know that when it's time to go back a hundred percent, right. To the office, if that's what your company has decided to do, that the only reason we're doing it is because the old people just don't like to have to do it, work on that of their computer. I mean, it's, I hate to say it like that, but that's, that's really the way that it kind of reads, it's right? True. It's like, mm -hmm. no, we have not lost any efficiency. We have not lost any, we're still profitable. Like people still get their bonuses, like every, every all of that is the same. Mm -hmm. But now we say, okay, you have to be in the office 40 hours a week. That is a requirement of this job. Mm -hmm. You have already given up the argument that that makes us better in some way. Mm -hmm. Right? So what's the reason? The reason is the reason we do a lot of things in corporate America, and that's like the the like old rich white guys. That's what they want, right? And that's it's concerning because it's blatant now, right? It's not sort of coded. It's just yeah, 
you know, this idea of like, this is who our culture, this is our culture. And that's why we have to be in person. Who, who, who is the person that decides what the culture is? Mm -hmm. If it's not the people that work there, then there's like, you know, it's six people in a room, which is a scary thing, right? Like that's, um, you know, again, I think that there's an expectation from candidates now that say, my life is important. Yeah. So, and if I don't think your company thinks my life is important, then why would I want to work there? And that's it. Move on. Thank you, Henry. Thank no you for this this conversation today. This was really wonderful. And, you know, I want to end with, you know, as you move into this next space of your life with all of this great industry knowledge you're bringing with you, what is the impact that you want to make in the future or even now? What is your goal? Uh, from a company perspective or, or just me? <laughs> Let's say both. Yeah, I mean, look there, and to be honest, if if this company works out the way I'd like it to, then they they shouldn't be too, too far apart, right? right? Um, I think I'll start again. I'll start local. I think that I want to make an impact on the life of my partner Owen, Owen Williams. I'll give him a shout out. Um, I want him to be happier when he comes to work than he was before, right? And I want the same thing for me, right? Like I want us to be, to always be happy to obviously spend time with, with our families and, and get to the weekend and sort of be able to unplug completely, but also never having to be like, oh God, like this guy's calling me again. Like, I think that that's, that's part of it, right? Um, so I think my initial impact is there within the company. Um, I want to make sure that my clients understand that the people they're working with are, have no interest in getting like, you know, rich off of them. I just, that's, you know, Owen and I have spoken about this multiple times and that's just not one of our priorities. We want to be comfortable, obviously, like everybody else. Um, we want to not have to uh, uh, make finding new people, uh, new clients, a huge priority after you know the first couple of years, because we want to have a set base of clients mm -hmm. that we work with and know us, and it is, and we want it to be important that that relationship is long. And that relationship is stable, right? Um, so I want I want our clients to know that they're going to call our our company, and uh, they're going to call Janice, and it's always going to be either or Owen or Henry answering the phone, and that we understand who they are and what they what they need. Uh, and then, sort of more broadly, um, I I think our impact needs to. Needs to have a needs to have a couple of components. Um, I think we need to pl place people in jobs that are also going to make them content, uh, that are going to serve serve more than just them getting a paycheck. Um, because again, I think that it services our clients better. Right, it makes for for longer retention, happier happier employees, uh, employees that will contribute beyond 
just their work product, but who they are as a person. Um, and finally, you know, if I get beyond that, I want this to be able to allow me to help people who are not necessarily cl clients or candidates that are, you know, we're going to make a, uh, a profit on, uh, but really just help people get connected within their industries. Uh, I specifically have a, a diverse diversity focus to that. I think that there is an opportunity to help people manage their their movement, uh, especially diverse candidates from one company to another, as they're in that, you know, diverse talents in such high demand, um, really sort of help them evaluate that those, those opportunities as they fit with their lives as opposed to just, you know, am I going to make more money? Is my 401k going to get bigger or whatnot? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's just more a more broad impact. Um, but you know, that's, we're, we're in month two. So we're, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of a longer term, uh, longer term approach. Where can people find you? Well, you know, both of both Owen and I are on LinkedIn. I, I have a pretty big presence on LinkedIn. Um, when I used to work at Macy's, I used to say, I used to like to tell people, I am the easiest person to find at, uh, to find at Macy's because I had the most connections. Uh, <laughs> when I was at Tiro Price, I also said that I think I, I, I think I still have I may still have the most connections of any of the people that have worked in those companies. Uh, so very easy to find me. Uh, uh, but also in LinkedIn, we have a page for Janus Consulting Partners. Um, Henry Casanova in LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. Uh, or just put me on Google. I will also pop up very quickly. Uh, I'm, I'm a very easy person to find. Perfect. Henry, thank you so much for your time and great conversation. Um, and for those listening, there will be more to come of this. I've already uh, committed Henry to another podcast. So we will have more great conversation. Henry, again, thank you for your time today. And uh, we'll be back soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Human Method Podcast. I am Megan Bond. And if you are interested in learning more about personal or organizational transformation, I would love to connect with you. You can reach me today at www.thebondconsultinggroup.com. I also want to thank Ayla Zimmerman for design and promotion of not just the human method, but our Bond Consulting Group site as well. She is a kick-ass designer, so please check out our site at thebondconsultinggroup.com. Sign up for our newsletter so that you can receive great content from us. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss our next episode. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme for the show, as always, is to be a little bit better each day. So remember, be better today.